the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Comic Podcast, episode number 171. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed on another new chair. Ooh, an- another new one. Another goodness. one, yeah. And I continue to be on the same chair that has served me well all these episodes. It is I, Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from September 13th through October 3rd. We have a total of three weeks of books to cover. We have a decent amount of news, including solicitations... And we have one in-depth review for a Batman annual, and then, of course, we have our spotlights for all of our other books, and we have some listener Q&As. So, with that, let's jump straight into our news. The very first thing we've got is, on September 14th, DC revealed the solicitations for the trades. Let's talk trades and graphic novels first. Um, They released the... Trades for January and February of 2016, several of these are for collected editions of current and former ongoing titles, including Detective Comics Volume 6, Grayson Volume 1 and Volume 2, Red Hood and the Outlaws Volume 7, as well as collected editions from either outside the main DC line or from comics that predated, including Batgirl Volume 1, with uh, in- including Cassandra Kane's Time as Batgirl, the new Teen Titans Volume 4 by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, Batman Arkham Knight Volume 1 and Volume 2, Batman the Jirokawada Batmanga Volume 3, Justice League Gods and Monsters Hardcover, and uh, Injustice Year 3 Volume 2. Other noteworthy titles for TVU fans include a gallery edition of a gallery edition hardcover for Batman the Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, sourced from scans from the original art from each issue, and all the included covers in original size on heavy stock paper to provide provide buyers with a museum-quality reproduction of the popular title for a low, low price of $175. Damn. Wow. Also, two new 100-page spectaculars collecting earlier readings from four Robin War, including issues of Teen Titans, Batman, Nightwing, and Battle for the Cowl, and Dark Side War, including issues from Mr. Miracle, New Gods, and the Forever People. A new trade paperback collection of Ed Brubaker's run on Batman from Batman number 582 to 586 and number 591 to 594. A trade paperback edition of Batman Shaman from issues 1 through 5 of Legends of the Dark Knight. A new Batman Noir edition of The Black Mirror by Scott Snyder. An omnibus hardcover of Batman and Superman stories from the world's finest comics number 71 through 96 a deluxe hardcover of Batman, Harley, and Ivy, featuring stories from various Paul Dini and Bruce Timm stories of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, and Showcase Presents Trade Paperback of Batman Volume 6 by Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams. Full list is over on the website. The the things I think are kind of interesting is, well, one, for January and February, there's a ridiculous amount of stuff coming out, and, and I think it's mostly due to the fact that we're it's we're, we're on the brink of the release of Batman for Superman, and they're going to be trying to pump out as much product as possible leading up to it. I don't foresee them doing a lot of normal monthly comic stuff, but when it comes to the trades, 
that stuff will sell, and the more they have out, the better chance they have of making money off of it. Uh, the 100-page spectaculars, uh, specifically focusing on s- situations regarding the Robin War and the Dark Side War, are kind of interesting because you would think because they're coming out a month after the Robin War and the Dark Side War, you think that it would be the collection of those stories, which would be really quick, but it's not. It's actually dealing with issues from just the past of these characters, most of all taking place before the New 52. So it's it's pretty interesting that they're doing that. Again, another edition of the Black Mirror. I don't know how many editions they can release of that, but it just keeps selling, so they're just going to keep putting it out. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff coming out. I would say this, too. Of all the stuff on the list that people might not grab at first, if you haven't read, somehow missed Batman Shaman, and, and it's some, it's really, really good. So it may not be a high-profile type title, but if you haven't read Shaman and you get a chance to get it in trade, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's really, really good. All right. So then uh, dealing with actual solicitations for December, which were also released on uh, September 14th, DC released their solicitations that include the continuation of most ongoing monthly titles, the weekly Batman Robin Eternal and Dark Knight 3, and Batman Ropa miniseries. But Gotham by Midnight and Batman 66 are being canceled, which we brought up uh, in Newsflash form uh, via Ed the last episode. Uh, so we also have the beginning of some new titles, including Harley Quinn's Little Black Book, Batman right. 66 meets The Man from Uncle, and Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, we also have the beginning of the Robin War crossover event. December will also bring more issues for some titles, since there are five weeks, two issues for Batman Europa, Batman Arkham Knight, and DC Bombshells, and five issues of Batman Robin Eternal. In December's issue of Dark Knight 3, the Master Race, Carrie Kelly gets herself into trouble while Batman Europa finds Batman working with the Joker to stop the virus with which Batman has been infected in issue number two and issue number three. Batman number 47 sees Jim Gordon fighting for his life against Mr. Bloom, while Bruce Wayne discovers a shocking secret about his past that will change everything, almost certainly a tease to him rediscovering he used to be Batman. Meanwhile, in the pages of Batman and Robin Eternal number 9-13, through 13, Red Robin and Red Hood head to Santa Prisca to get involved with Bane while they're there, and Dick Grayson and Harper Rowe meet a woman with power with the power to reshape minds. December also brings the crossover event Robin War, which takes place in a special issue, Robin War number one, Grayson number 15, Detective Comics number 47, We Are Robin number seven, and Robin Son of Batman number seven, with the story progressing in that order, with tie-in issues in Red Hood Arsenal number 17, Titans number 15, and Gotham Academy number 13. The story across these titles seems to pit the Robins against the Court of Owls again, while they also deal with the loss of Bruce Wayne is Batman and the new replacement who is working for GCPD. This story is set to conclude in another Robin War issue that will come out in January. Also happening in December, Batgirl seems to be losing her mind and her allies are forced to pick up the slack. Red Hood works with Superman in the continuing fight against Vandal Savage and Batman Superman. Selina leaves the mob behind to become Catwoman again. Dinah's band completes their debut tour with a deafening scream. And Tim Drake finds himself exploring what's left of Neo Gotham now that Brother Eye is finally gone. In Team Books, we see JLA fighting through the millions of superpower Kryptonians after the climax of the last issue's battle with Rao. Meanwhile, in Justice League, we see the second act of the Dark Side War beginning as members will struggle with their new powers to turn the 
and turn to the crime syndicate for help. Also in Titans number 3, Dick Grayson and Roy Harper are both haunted by their past. December also brings some series endings as the GCPD's Midnight Shift, Battle for the Soul of Gotham's, comes to a close with the final issue of Gotham by Midnight, and the digital first series, Batman 66, comes to a close as well as Batman and Robin face a convention of criminals. However, the solicitations for December also promise some new titles, beginning beginning all dealings with team-ups. First, we'll see Harley Quinn getting a bi-monthly, overstuffed, oversized team-up series in Harley's Little Black Book. Batman 66 gets new life, still in a new six-issue series, teaming up with the man from UNCLE. And lastly, we'll get the debut of the exciting team-up between Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the DCIDW crossover miniseries. Also, be sure to look for new issues of Harley Quinn, new Suicide Squad, Midnighter, Earth 2 Society, Justice League 3001, Batman Arkham Knight, Batman Arkham Knight Genesis, an annual for Injustice Year 4, and DC Comics Bombshells. The full list of everything that is coming out, which in no way, shape, or form is short, can be found over on the website. The big thing, a couple new titles and a couple cancellations, uh, the Harley miniseries, Batman 66, Man Meets Man Up from Uncle, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, and then we've got Gotham, Gotham by Midnight being canceled on Batman 66. So, Batman 66 is, in my opinion, probably one of the surprise, surprises because it is a digital first series, and we don't. We were just talking about this last episode yeah, we think, where I think it's the digital with the digital series, we have no idea whether or not we we don't know how well it's selling until it gets canceled. Um, but comparing the sales for Batman sixty six in print form, they were very very low, but they've been very low for quite some time. So obviously, the digital was there for a while to you know kind of even it out, but the digital numbers must have been dropping more recently as well. But despite the fact that it's ending, they come out with a new, you know, crossover series with Man from Uncle, which I find pretty amusing because it's almost like what, you know, the popularity's not there, but we're still going to do a crossover with the characters. It's almost as if they just want to keep these characters, Batman 66 versions of the characters around no matter what. Not to mention they just had that uh, Guy Ritchie version of the Man from Uncle that came out which bombed badly in the movie theaters, so I don't understand uh, why they're doing this, but hey. Did I mean, it I guess, really? Oh, I enjoyed it. I went to see it. I thought it was pretty I, good. It so. didn't perform very well. Yeah, but it didn't perform very well, but that doesn't always change. doesn't mean it's yeah. bad. But. Those are the solicitations. Uh, let's get into any other news that happened. The only other thing that we've got is on September 15th, we have an article that posted up talking, uh, Azarello talking about some of the highlights of what's to come with Dark Knight Master Race. And the highlights there are that he can't say anything about it. This is really close to secrecy, isn't it? Yes, he, <laughs> he literally did not say anything at all about the plot. Said you have to wait till it comes out. There's no hints at what time frame it's taking place. Anytime they asked him any sort of question that said, you know, what is, you know, can you can you talk about any of the other artists that are involved in the project? He says, nope, can't talk about anything that's not announced. Sorry. It was almost like, what was the point? I mean, other than just showing the fact that it, everything about it is super secretive. So, then uh, at, on September 25th, we have an update on the website. Uh, there's a ton more of these retailer variant covers that have now been revealed. We have 11 more that have been revealed by DC. Um, and the updated list of all of the 
retailers will have a special covers over on the website as well. So if you have a retailer on the list, it's a local retailer, you have a chance to get these, some of the, you know, to get one of these special variant covers. Now, as we talked about last episode, these variants, special retailer variants are nothing but a one for one variant cover. That's it. Or as we postulated last time, alternative cover. Yes, maybe alternative, it, may, yeah. Maybe a better term for it. Have you, the one thing, I don't know if you guys have looked at them, thing that kind of jumped out at me, did you notice that all of these are just retread of type of images from Dark Knight? Like, there's nothing new. Like, they're new, they're new drawings, but there's nothing from the new series. They're all images from the original Dark Knight. Yep. So. That's exactly what they are. The one that I thought was weird was, uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah, I saw that one. Was that supposed to be Wonder Woman? Or was that supposed to be Selena Kyle in the Wonder Woman outfit from Dark Knight Returns? Remember when Joker dresses her up? Well, I, I mean, if that was the case, I did not get that. But I mean, like, I know what you're talking about, but I, like, looking at the picture, it does not look like it's Selena Kyle. No, 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 yeah, I, 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 I agree that it doesn't, but that was the only one you're right that I don't remember any Wonder Woman reference in the first Dark Knight Returns other than you know. Yeah. So that was the only thing because when I was looking at these, I was like, "Well, that's probably the one of the images that doesn't really harken back to the original." So with that, that is actually all of our news. Now we're going to jump into our comic book reviews, and like I said, our only in-depth review is the Batman Annual. Batman Annual Number Four: Writer James Tenney the Fourth, Artist. Roge Antonio. The story opens up with Bruce Wayne and Julie Madison arriving at Wayne Manor and meeting Alfred there. The inmates have been moved out and Alfred is working on getting the house back into its original condition. Waiting for them there is Miss Jerry Powers from the Powers Corp, who tells Bruce that she is going to be giving him the house back for next to nothing because it is his, it is his history and not hers. Bruce makes the point that this is not part of his history anymore either. However, Julie tells him that this is something that they really should do is move back into Wayne Manor. In the office, Alfred notices that the room is much smaller than it should be, and at that point, the wall reveals itself to be Clayface. It is also shown that Mr. Freeze and the Riddler are both there as well and have been lying in wait behind the false Clayface wall for Bruce. Riddler says that they are there to solve the mystery of Bruce Wayne. As Mr. Freeze leads Bruce away, Alfred manages to save him, with a shotgun, and they escape into the network of tunnels that Wayne Manor has. Alfred leads him to an armory and tells him this is stuff he just keeps around to go hunting with. Before long, though, Mr. Freeze comes knocking in on them, and Freeze uses his ice to make statues of Bruce's parents, and in the part of this drama, the role of Julie is played by Clayface, as the Riddler takes Bruce to a trip down memory lane, leading him to the electroshock therapy room, where Bruce had once requested to have the electroshock performed on him, before he chickened out and ran away, as the Riddler put it. He has a theory that Bruce Wayne is crazy, and this is why he puts so much time and money into helping Batman with Batman Incorporated. He says they cannot bear the fact for Bruce to get a normal life back, and they're going to make him go crazy again by killing Julie and Alfred in front of him with the same gun that killed his parents, so that he will have the, you know, see the, the, the killing in front of him again, and he will go crazy yet again like them. Bruce, at this point, leaps into action, destroying the Strambler, which is allowing Robobats not to be called in by Ms. Powers, and smashing a chandelier on the back of the rogues. The good guys show up, and they are all taken back into custody. Bruce tells Julia, 
that the garden would make a great spot for a wedding. All right. So that is the annual. Um, I guess the first question I wanted to ask here was we get the wrap up, like the finality uh, from the Arkham Manor storyline where Arkham, where Wayne Manor was converted to Arkham Manor. And we get to see Bruce back in Wayne Manor by the end of the story. Uh, my question was, are you glad to see like this one part of the story go back to normal with Bruce being in Wayne Manor? Or do you think there was still some more Arkham Manor type stories we could have told? Well, I think there was definitely some more Arkham Manor stories to be told. I enjoyed the series, at least, you know, when it was releasing. But I'm glad that, I mean, it has been obviously quite some time since the last issue, since the last issue came out in March. Um, but I'm glad to see that there was some sort of conclusion. I mean, there are other stories that could have been told, but in some ways I'm just glad that there is a, you know, there is some sort of explanation to explain, hey, Here's how it worked out. So for that, I, I'm happy about. Yeah, I agree that unfortunately it was, I guess, a failed experiment in terms of how DC would look at it. And it was a bummer when I started reading this because I thought, oh, well, now we're going back to this regular status quo because they feel like it's, you know, it failed. And so there's no reason why we should keep Bruce Wayne out of the manor. So let's bring him back. And it's, uh, it, it is disappointing. Um, but y- you can't sort of have it. Um, what was I reading today that, oh, um, I was, <laughs> sorry. I was reading some, uh, parts of Knight's Quest today. Ooh. And there are some kids specifically, it was just a very, you know, random pa- uh, panel of kids throwing rocks through the windows of Arkham Manor. You know, one kid was saying, um, are you sure they're not home? And then the other kid said, no, they've been gone for months, which clearly because of where uh, Alfred and Bruce are. The reason why this relates is you can't have that, I think, in current continuity. It made sense back then, but now you can't just have the manor with mothballs, um, potentially, you know, it, or having the, the Arkham inmates in there, but not covering them because I think there are stories to be told. And like Dustin, I, I thought it was really intriguing. I thought it was weird in the beginning. Um, when all this stuff happened, he lost his fortune and it was being turned into Arkham. I thought, oh, this is a little weird, but great stories came out of it. And I'm sad that that's done, but I think it'll be interesting to see what this form of Bruce Wayne is going to do in the, um, in this house. And I'm wondering if more mysteries, kind of like this annual here, if more mysteries that popped up or were created because the inmates were in there, are going to fuel some story points within Batman and, and other stories as well. Yeah, I, I, I do think, I think we're all on the same page here, which is a lot of the stories that came out of this were cool, but I think it's nice to get Bruce back in the manor as well, because I think that when we have such a radical departure from the traditional Batman universe that we've seen for so long, maybe seeing Bruce back in Wayne Manor might kind of help people, you know, grow up but I kind of stay with that part of the story so I, I am glad it's there I, I do think that this period where we see Wayne Manor being used as Arkham I would bet a lot but dollars to pesos really that over the next four or five years I bet we see lots of flashbacks to this point you know because there was so much we don't know about day-to-day life I bet at one point or another we'll see a flashback for almost every one of the rogues gallery at their times where they were being held in in, in Wayne Manor so um I think that this could be something we see coming up for a while. Uh, the second point was we have a, we have a trio of villains in this story with Riddler, 
um, Mr. Freeze and our, our friend Clayface. So my question was, do you like the way the villains were used in the story? Do they seem authentic? And which one of the villains that was featured here did, did you like the most in this story? Well, I think Riddler played the most important role in the story because he was basically trying to get Bruce, you know, he was basically psychologically psychologically torturing Bruce the entire mm-hmm. story, but he probably had the, the biggest role. The other two, I mean, they were, they, they were there, but they didn't really feel like they needed to be there. That wasn't really the point in my mind of, you know, the story was not ha- having to do with the other two. They just happened to be there. Um, but Riddler was the main focus here. And it's interesting because this is, this is the only other Riddler. Okay. So I, okay. I say that, but there's something that I'm going to bring up in two seconds, but outside of Scott Snyder's Riddler story, uh, with Riddler being in, with involved in zero year, this is the only other Riddler story that, that, uh, has been, to- that's been shown outside of Riddler playing the very minor role that he played in Batman Eternal and the role that he's currently playing in Secret Six, which is so far on people's radars, so far down on people's radars that they're probably not even thinking that he's in that book. Um, so it's interesting to have a story and to see Riddler doing something in an evil way instead of just being shown as if he was in Batman Eternal, where he was basically hiding out because he didn't want to face the big bad who ended up being Crewmaster. But uh, it is what it is. But I think Riddler, I think, was used in an interesting way. Uh, it was also interesting to, to basically see that um, he, he's, he's goading Bruce into admitting that he, you know, what he is, but of course he can't admit that he was ever Batman because he doesn't know that he was ever Batman. Instead, he admits that he hires people to dress up and then go after the villains, and that's all Riddler's looking for is that because he wants to take out his frustration on Bruce because of that. So I really liked this, um, and it's something that I was not expecting at all. But it was almost like, um, well, it's so weird because it's Bruce Wayne up against all of these villains, and it's not Batman. So it's a completely different fight between the two. And until the the part where he says, um, you know, I'm crazy, you're wondering, does Riddler know his identity? Because he keeps asking, you know, what are you, what are you? And there's this Batman floating around, so you're just wondering, oh my gosh, does he know? Uh, but it was just such an interesting take. And three interesting villains that you may not, you know, expect to see palling around together. But I think besides Riddler being the mastermind, I think Freeze and um, Carlo... Loff? Karloff? Karloff. Oh, I was, I was first over oh, at right, the first time. Um, like, there's some sympathy there. Um, obviously, you know, they, they force it maybe a little bit with, with what if, you know, what could have been had you not been in my life. But the, the writers here, I think, picked two people that potentially could have had some sort of future and would not have had as tragic a past. And I think they're two people also that while they may work alone, that they're more likely to be in a group. Like, I don't think it would have worked with Penguin. Obviously not Joker, who wouldn't care about such things. So I, I, I liked these. I was a little shocked to see this form of Clayface, if only because, you know, I just read Gotham Academy number 10, where we see Matt Hagen pop up. So maybe I'm wrong. 
Maybe it was Carlo. Um, well, Carlo's been the one that they focused on since yeah. the New 52. Um, maybe I'm getting my Higgins. I, maybe because I, never mind. I was, whatever. But anyways, uh, so it's interesting to see, uh, these three together. I don't know if I had a favorite, but it was, yeah, I just wasn't expecting this to be what it was. And I was wondering if people were going to die. Legitimately, I wondered if Julie Madsen was going to die. Yeah, it brings up a really good point there. I mean, let's face it, Bruce Wayne's love interests are mostly disposable. Yeah. You know, I mean, so they almost all seem to die or leave or hate him or become a villain or something um, happens to him. Um, So I thought that was a real possibility, too. Um, I agree that Riddler very much took center stage, but I don't think that the other two were just non-important window dressing. I, I think that the, the three of them all together worked better because let's face it, one of the, one of the problems with Riddler is always that he's not a real credible physical threat. And if he was just there being wise, Bruce or even Alfred would just beat him up. Um, so I, I do like the way they all work together. We haven't seen a lot of Riddler new 52. Uh, like Dustin said, you know, we had that, we had the one villains month issue. You know, which was I try to forget about yeah. the entire month, honestly. Yeah, no, that was kind of screwy. There was that one villains month issue, and then he was standing around in death of the family for a couple of pages. But other than that, we really haven't had a lot of Riddler, which um, the Riddler is one of my favorite villains. So it was it, this was something that I really, um, I really enjoyed. And to me, Riddler did take center stage, but I didn't feel like the others were were just there. And then the last point to touch on before one yes no question, kind of at the end, which was. We see Bruce react here, you know, with no memories. This is, you know, non-Batman Bruce. But he still, you know, still beats some guys up and, and, and uh, you know, d- does a lot here. He definitely plays the hero in the story. And the question is, does does Bruce Wayne, without any of his memories, remember Alfred's impassioned fleet to Clark was always, you know, he's not trained. If he goes out there, he's just going to get himself killed. This doesn't look like someone who's totally incompetent to fight evil. Maybe it's not the polished Bruce that we saw saw last before Endgame, but does this seem like a Bruce Wayne that is totally incapable of being Batman? And does you think this is what Bruce without his memories would look like in action? I think in some ways this is almost supposed to show us that there's part of his skills are muscle memory. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that, you know, he still has some skills and he's not just, you know, regular Joe off the street who has absolutely no ability to, you know, deal with a situation like this he has something which means maybe they're trying to hint at the fact that it's still there it just needs to be like awakened like he needs to be awakened and once he realize like once he gets he remembers something it's all going to come back and maybe that's maybe that's what they're trying to hint at in you know this annual because they tried to do it seems like when Tinian writes stuff he tries to hint at things of what's to come without it trying, without it being so obvious. You know, there's some of the other annuals that they've done. Uh, there was the Mr. Freeze one, which had nothing to do with anything. Um, it didn't have anything to do with the current storyline. That time. was junk. They had the, uh, the other one where it was dealing with the security system at Arkham Asylum at the time. And we got introduced to Eric Border, but we had no idea that the reason we were being introduced to Eric Border was because that was actually the Joker. We, we didn't learn that until way later on during Endgame. So the the thing is, like, I feel like they're trying to make annuals 
mean something. Like looking at some of the other annuals, um, specifically, uh, New Suicide Squad had an annual that came out this month as well. They actually used the annual to just have an oversized ending to their current story arc, which most of the time they just try to tell, most of the time recently, especially since the New 52, they've used annuals to just basically tell an oversized single story that can be condensed into just one issue instead of telling something that expands the current story arc. So this expands the current story arc and it doesn't, but it's still telling a one story issue that is dealt with only within one issue, but it's expanding what's already there. It's not just some random story. So for that, I, I appreciate it, but I think it all comes down to Bruce is, they're trying to hint at that Bruce still has the abilities. He just doesn't realize it completely. Yeah, and I would reference this new show on NBC, which I'm really enjoying, uh, called Blind Spot. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's basically, um, Sif from Four. There's my Marvel reference of the day. Jimmy uh, Alexander. Yep. For those of you who, from not the Marvel <laughs> universe. Um, <laughs> and her body is covered with tattoos of, of various sorts. And like, covered all over so uh and she has no memory and everything but when she's putting these different situations or things happen you see you know she knows mandarin chinese she's able to do some hand-to-hand combat she's really good at the handgun so i think for as long as he had trained and honed his body in these different areas some things remain but i also think and and i think if you were to open his mind that it would probably all come flooding back but because he's very much put up a wall and does not want to know these things he's not really accepting of looking and seeing you know how am i capable of doing this and i think it was uh i don't think dangerous is the, the right word but there was sort of a threat i think this entire annual of is he going to regain some memory is alfred going to let something slip because he's asking questions, but I don't think he's going to like the answers. You know, for instance, the, um, the, uh, armory, he keeps asking about that and Alfred's coming up with good answers, but he sort of still prods it along. So, you know, if he keeps ans- asking these questions at one point, I think the dam's going to break loose and he's going to come back to Bruce Wayne that we know. Yeah, I wouldn't, Think that that's you know I, I I do agree with that I think that that the whole there was a lot of point of this was this is Bruce you know he's still in there you know I think putting the, the fact that he gets Wayne Manor back is almost like Snyder teasing us in a way you know or Tenyon I guess but I'm sure Snyder had some involvement in this but it's almost like a tease like hey look we're putting him back in Wayne Manor hey look he can still fight he's coming so. Um, I did, I did kind of like the way that it, it showed us Bruce here, um, overall. And then the last just quick point before we, we rate it is why is, um, we see Mr. Freeze in here. Has anyone ever wondered why he's called Mr. Freeze and not Dr. Freeze? He does have a mm-hmm. doctorate. Such a weird thing to bring up. I'm just saying, like, think about it. Wouldn't he be, wouldn't Dr. Freeze be more appropriate? Why is he only Mr. Freeze? Um, well, the better question is how many of the people within that universe have a doctorate. That's the better question. Well, all of them. He has a very well educated Rose Gallery. Yes. Yeah. So, just thought. I don't know. Something's always kind of bothered me. All right. So with that, that is going to give us. Let's let's give it some ratings. I am going to give this a total of four out of five bed rings. Uh, four out of five. Good. Real good. 
And I will agree and say four out of five. And over on the website, Corbin gave it four out of five as well. So that's going to give Batman Annual number four a total of four out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Now let's go over to the website and cover what other books we have. All right, so first up we have Batman Arkham Knight Genesis number two. This was viewed by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. Um, in this issue, this is still dealing with the kind of the origins of the Arkham Knight, uh, specifically the Jason Todd version from the video game. But um, I honestly have been really enjoying the Arkham Knight Genesis stuff. Um, they're doing a really good job of telling a Jason Todd origin story for him being back and not. It's more in my mind the Arkham Knight stuff comes across as it's a viable origin story for Jason Todd potentially being killed but not being killed instead of what they came up with uh, for Under the Red Hood. So, just my opinion. Uh, one of the things we're going to start instituting with our TV Spotlight is that we're going to start instituting a new interaction with the three of us talking about some of these books. We're going to either give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a neutral rating just to say, hey, either check it out or don't check it out. So, first up, Batman Arkham Knight Genesis, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. All right. Next up, we have Robin, Son of Batman, number four. In this issue, we have Deathstroke dealing with, or well, he goes after Maya, who's the current nobody, and Damien dealing with that, and the way he gets rid of Deathstroke is by paying him off. All right. Ryan gave it four out of five. I'm giving this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. All right. Next up, we have Harley Quinn, number 20. Viewed by Gary. In this issue, Harley goes to California, and uh, she is uh, somebody is trying to hunt her down. In this, for this, Gary gave it four out of five. I'm giving this a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. All right, Black Canary number four, viewed by Corbin. So in this issue, the main thing that happens is that uh, we see Meve. She's taken Ditto to Amanda Waller. And uh, it turns out that Amanda Waller says that she needs to sit down with Dinah to discuss what needs to happen. Uh, I, and I apologize in advance if I'm not doing a very good job of summarizing these. <laughs> Three weeks is a really, really long time for me to Honesty uh, remember exactly what happened in all of these issues. Uh, and I'm just very briefly glancing through some of the reviews on the website to see some of the highlights. So I apologize because three weeks on my mind right now is a long time for me to remember. So, Corbin. Yeah. Oh, I was going to add, I think her name is Maeve, but. Maeve. I don't okay, know. That, that's probably um, makes but, even more sense. Yeah, so she basically, she, in the previous issue, she kidnapped, uh, Ditto, and we find out that it's a trait, so she gives her to Amanda, and in turn, Amanda's basically going to give her the canary cry. That Dinah has, and that's where the issue ended. So Corbin gave it three and a half. I'm giving it a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Um, thumbs up for me, too. All right. And then uh, next up, Secret Six, number six, reviewed by Jim. In this issue, we see what I mentioned earlier with the Riddler. He is in this issue. He's actually the bad guy of the series right now. Um, but we see a number of different things dealing with the characters, Jim gave this issue a total of three out of five. I'm giving this a actual thumbs down. Thumbs down. What was the issue? I missed the title. Secret, Secret six. six. Oh, okay. Neutral. 
All right, next up, Batman 66, number 27, which covers digital chapters number 66 and 67. Reviewed by Gary, he gave it two and a half. This story dealt with Bane, kind of introduced Bane into the mix of Batman 66. He's basically a Mexican luchador who is working for Riddler. I'm actually going to give this a neutral. Neutral. And neutral. All right. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this issue because there was some crazy stuff that happened in this one. Uh, Grayson number 12, reviewed by Bill. He gave it a total of four and a half. I'm giving it a thumbs up. Oh, thumbs up. Oh, man, thumbs up. All right. We got to talk about Grayson. Yeah. Uh, so, Stella, give me a talking point for, for Grayson. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, there's a ton to choose from. I think we're, we should each come up with a talking point because there is some good stuff that happened in this. Yeah, I, the reunion scenes, the reunion scenes, and not just, not talking about the history of them, but just like how the interactions went. And yeah, so the reunion scenes with the different characters, do you think that they were, um, really emblematic of the relationships between Dick and the, the other people or persons? Yeah, I honestly feel like every reunion scene was perfect. Like this issue, so to basically give a short, brief synopsis of what happens. So Dick Grayson has come back to Gotham. He is trying to figure out who Agent Zero is. And in the process, he comes back to Gotham, reveals to all the various members of the Bat family that he, in fact, is still alive, explain, and has to work through the fact that, you know, they all believe that he was dead, has to explain himself to every single one of them. But they do it in this unique way where they showcase the history of the characters' relationships. So Dick and Babs, Dick and Tim and Jason, Dick and Damien. They do some really, really cool, amazing jobs with, like, not only focusing on their, their past relationship history, but also showcasing the current situations that these characters are in and how him being in the position of being dead and everyone believing he was dead, that, like showing legitimate reactions for these characters. Keep in mind that these characters are not normally in these books, so the fact that the writers nailed the characterizations of the characters like Barbara and Damien and mm-hmm. Tim and Jason they did such a good job of nar- like nailing the characterizations of how each one of these characters would feel, even based off of the fact that they don't write these characters normally. They did a really good job. So right. all of that put aside, the reunion parts of it were great. I especially love the Dick and Babs one. Um, Babs's reaction to it was great. Uh, Tim and Jason, you know, saying, you know, they, they can't believe that he did exactly what you know, they, they always accused Bruce of doing, and, you know, during the death of the family, you know, they did, he did the same exact thing that they got mad at Bruce about, at Bruce about, they did, he, he did here with lying to all of them, mm-hmm. and the whole point of it was that each one of them had a piece of this puzzle to help him solve who is Agent Zero. The reveal of who Agent Zero was was kind of like a, eh. Yeah, not so. not really, not really like that. Really, wasn't the the, the coolest. But uh, anyway, all of that aside, the reunion parts amazing. Uh, I mean, th- this book. When I say thumbs up, and I think we all agree on this, it's like a thumbs way up. Oh, no you, doubt. You definitely need to read this. The, the only complaint I have about this, it, it complaints really a super strong word. But I don't think complaints are the right word. I would have liked to have seen this flip flop with the annual for mm-hmm. page count. Not that this was, this was great. This was great. Uh, but I liked it so much. And I think this is probably like 
you know, other side of the fence type stuff. But I enjoyed this so much that I thought that, man, if this had an annual and we could have extended each of the meetings with Barbara and, and Damien, all them, a couple extra pages, that it may have been even better. But that's not like a complaint. That was just, I liked it so much I wanted it to be bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that would be the only thing I think. That's the only knock when I read it that I possibly think it had is I wish it had been longer. Um, and it's kind of amazing too, because think about how much ground we cover here in the world of 12 issue mega stories that we covered the inter, the, the, bringing Dick back, reintroducing all the characters and then putting them all together on a mission in one single issue. You know, I mean, there's a lot covered here. Um, but it's great. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. It's really good. Like I said, the only thing I, I, the only thing I dislike, and I dislike is even the right word is, is I would have liked to, you know, some more page count so we could have seen them fleshed out a little bit. But yeah, I thought it was great. And I think my favorite one was, I know, I know Dustin, you said yours was with Babs, but I think my favorite was, was with Damien. Just the, hey, you're alive. Was, so yeah. are you, you know, like, yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And I think especially too, cause there's a lot of us out there that really consider that Damien and Dick being Batman and Robin together was the best part. Of, of the characters, uh, mm-hmm. or my favorite one of it was, was the two working together. So, uh, yeah, no, this was, this was as good as it gets in a single issue. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree. The, the interactions, you're sort of, whoo, you're, you're a little nervous. How is this all going to work? Because, you know, I had even brought up when this first was happening, I thought it was a betrayal that only, you know, out, well, not even Alfred, right? No one knew except for Batman. And I thought, you know, it's just such a bummer that that had to be that way. So there are a lot of good points brought up, you know, just with him having lied. And I think each of those interactions were very different because there was anger and hostility in the first one with Tim and Jason. Uh, Babs was a little more apathetic than I would have thought. Like she's more just like, you know, whatever, of course you're alive, that sort of thing. But then it started to get more tender towards the end when he gave her the trapeze um, bar that appeared in Birds of Prey number eight. And um, and then the Damien, which actually, you know, I love Dick and Babs, but I have to say that that Damien one was just so amazing because you would think because of that character that he would have been the most violent of all. But just to see him, you know, flipping and tumbling to get get to him and, and them embracing, I just thought was a really wonderful moment. Yeah, if anything, Dick and Damien are probably the closest thing to real brothers as mm-hmm. it probably gets. Uh, the other really cool thing about the Damien one is I honestly think that this, outside of when Damien died and all of the books you know, having the one panel that showed a reaction to Damien being dead. Mm-hmm. Out of all the books, this is the first book that Damien's appeared in since he's died. That's not the Batman or, you know, his title, which, you know, whatever the Batman Robin or now it's Robin, son of Batman. This, this is the first title he's appeared in outside of his own title since he's been back. So I thought that was kind of, that was kind of interesting too, since all of the other books like we've said multiple times, it just kind of ignored the fact that he exists. This book did not. It would have been a downfall, a huge downfall yeah, if they didn't time. show that, but I'm glad they did. So, great book. Definitely check it out. Yes. Also, uh, dealing with the history, everybody knows I'm a huge history. Oh, uh, yes, he is. Our good old Donovan Grant, he put together an article showcasing some of, uh, on the reunion pages where they show Dick with the characters, there's a ton of quotes that show up on the page. All those quotes 
Don actually went through and linked up some of those quotes with where they originally appeared mm-hmm. uh, from their original printed comic book form panels. That's no easy feat. Yeah, it is not at all. Um, and no. This was an extensive, extensive article on the website to check out to see how much work actually went into just putting those random quotes on the page. They pulled them from real positions from these characters' histories. So mm-hmm. props to them for doing that. More props to Don to figuring out exactly where they all came from. Right. So definitely head over to the website and check that out. And I did think that the reveal of, of uh, Kathy Kane was okay. It wasn't super negative. Yeah. All right. Next up, Batgirl number 44, reviewed by Don. He gave this issue a total of two and a half. Stella? Yeah. Uh, so this is following up the Velvet Tiger issue previously. And Batgirl is on the case of what happened to Joe, Alicia's fiance. And she has, of course, her, her infamous run in with Velvet Tiger. And we also have some romance between Luke and Babs. And then, um, Frankie does a really stupid thing and puts sort of a technological implant on her, second Marvel reference, a la uh, Dr. Off in Spider-Man 2, you know, the Tobey Maguire, and she can control, basically, tech now, like motorcycles and things like that. Don gave it two and a half. I'm giving this one a neutral. (sighs) Neutral? Yeah, I'm going to have to say neutral as well. All right. Next up, we are Robin, number four, reviewed by Bill. We give it a total of four out of five. In this issue, we are, we kind of get a character, a character development to one of the Robins, Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks to an imaginary Batgirl. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of the issue, uh, we find that we, we were expecting to see, there was a lot, it was dealing with a lot of the fallout from the death of Troy from the last issue. Uh, but it was, a, it was a good to focus on these Robins because this is really the first issue that really focused on one specific Robin instead of just the group of the characters in general. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. I will say that I give this a really high thumbs up. I think this is the best issue that has come out from this series. I thought the art was amazing. And some hypocrisy, I think, that we've been encountering in Batgirl where her saying no to Frankie, she actually talks about when she's talking to Nico, uh, which I think is really interesting. So, like, double thumbs up for me on this. All right. Next up, Harley Quinn Power Goal, number four, would be by Gary. He gave it three and a half. As always, if you want to learn more about that, definitely head over to the website <laughs> and check out the the detailed review that Gary puts in for that series. I'm giving this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Next, Gotham by Midnight, number nine, reviewed by Jim. He gave it two out of five. This is the, this issue deals with basically three separate scenes. The question of Jim Corrigan, the question of Lisa Drake, and the search warrant execution on the Midnight Shift. Um, but it's really just a progressional issue that is not setting a whole lot of things up, except for there was a ridiculous amount of violence that happens at the Whoa, end of the issue. Whoa, yeah. Whoa, yeah. So, for this issue, not a huge fan of the, uh, Overuse of graphic violence. Um, when I say gra- violence, I'm more referring to gore. Yeah. Um, I'm giving this one a thumbs down. Neutral. Neutral on this as well. All right. 
Next, uh, let's talk Batman Day. So Batman Day came out, and they had a special issue that came. It was called Batman Endgame Special Edition. Featured the first part of the Batman Endgame story from, I mean, it came out a while back. Um, it was the part of the story where it deals with the Justice League. But included in this issue was also a preview for Batman Robin Eternal. Um, so Ian, one of our new reviewers, he reviewed the preview. Um, we have a detailed account of everything that occurred um, for this over on the website. He gave it a total of four and a half. Um, some people, uh, in contrast, there were some people I, that I was reading about online that talked about the fact that uh, there wasn't enough here, but at the same point, there was only there wasn't going to be that much. It was only eight pages of previews. So, um, but I'm not going to go in depth on it. But I will say, if if you didn't check it out, it's a free issue. You can get it digitally uh, through Comixology for free. There's a good chance your local comic shop might still have copies of this as well. Uh, it's a free issue to check out. It's a preview. Um, as you're listening to this, the first issue of Batman and Robin Eternal is actually already going to be on shelves. Um, so the intent is, if you haven't seen the preview, you're not going to miss anything because the majority of it is going to be, you know, show up. Now, this mm -hmm. preview was a special preview. It's not necessarily just the first eight pages of issue one at all. That's not at all what it is. Um, so... If you haven't checked out Batman and Robin Eternal, you can check out the preview for free if you want by looking online and getting the copy for free through Comixology. So definitely check that out if you haven't. But uh, Ian gave it four and a half. I enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. It's, it's, I'm, ready, I'm ready to start this one. Thumbs up? All Though right. I will say that I'm sad that it's already starting off with lies. Because I feel like this is the wrong foot, something that you wouldn't want to start off with. And I don't want this to be like a death of the family situation again. I think there's a lot more to it than the lies part of it. Mm -hmm. And I agree, it is starting off with, you know, oh, Bruce lied to us yet again. But uh, I think there there's going to be a much larger element to the story that they aren't focusing on right away. Um, the other big point of it is that Cassandra Kane. You know, she's getting introduced. Right. And she doesn't even pop up in the preview. Mm -hmm. So. They're saving that. I there's, guess. there's all kinds of stuff that's going to happen that they're not even showing, you're not even hinting mm -hmm. in the preview. So. Alright. Next up, Batman Arkham Knight, annual number one. This issue deals with kind of the connection between Arkham Knight and Scarecrow and how they are partners in the course, you know, leading up to the actual storyline point where the game, you know, we move over to what happens in the video game. Um, that's what happens in this issue. This was reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four and a, four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 All right. Uh, then we have Grayson annual number two. In this issue, uh, as Dick is on his way back to Spiral um, from the la you know from the issue that came out just the previous week, um, he actually ends up bumping into Superman, who has no powers, and the two of them. Um, end up dealing with the Fist of Cain and specifically Blockbuster. This issue, it was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it three out of five. With this one, I'm giving it a neutral. Um, if you're reading the truth storyline in Superman, this is part of that deal, and I give this one a thumbs up. I give it a thumbs up, but not as strong of a thumbs up as number 12. All right, next we have Justice League number 44. 
This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it four and a half. Um, there was a lot that happened in this issue, but the biggest thing that happened is that Darkseid's dead. Whoa. That is a huge spoiler if you didn't read it. Yeah, but spoiler Dark, alert. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, come on. What, what, what podcast are we on here? We're not yeah. on a podcast we don't discuss spoilers. But Darkseid's dead. Um, that was the main thing, but I mean, it's kind of crazy that Darkseid's dead and it's only the end of the first part of the story. So, um, this one, I'm, I mean, I love Fabix art in general, but amazing stuff in this issue. Great story. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Find it hard that Darkseid will be dead forever. Neutral. Alright, and then our last one we have is New Suicide Squad Annual Number 1. As I said earlier, this is wrapping up their current storyline. Uh, Black Manta, who we all believed was, you know, had every intention of joining this new league and leaving the squad behind, realized the squad, that the league was not what he thought it was, and he decided to betray them and go back to the squad. But we, and, and told everybody on the squad, hey, <laughs> I was always going to come back to you guys. I was just trying to get close to the league. But through the, uh, thought bubbles we realized that he's all he's lying and he had every intention of screwing over the league um but the other big part of what happened in this is that uh reverse flash daniel west is presumed dead because he tries to save a bunch of innocent civilians by taking a bomb away and he presume is presumed dead he, everyone believes he's potentially dead after trying to save a bunch of people so uh jim gave it four and a half i'm giving this one a thumbs up thumbs up Neutral. All right. So that is all of our books that came over the last three weeks. Lots and lots of books. So with that, let's get into our listener Q&As. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't. Alright, so, as far as listener Q&As, these are all the comments that were posted on episode number 170. First up, Avery says, Since I got married in August, I've been buying my comics almost exclusively digitally now just to save space. I'm pretty sure that variant covers do come with them. They are cool to look at, for sure, but it kind of defeats the purpose, especially because you can share them within the app, so the concept of rarity just flies out the window. So I guess, in short, I don't really understand the point of it either. However, the real reason I, I'm writing to, is to ask, are you not reading Injustice? It's amazing. Years 1 and 2 rank up there as some of the trades that were the most fun and exciting to read, in my opinion. Year 3 was a little bit of a decline, but I think Year 4 has found its groove after the writing change, and I am so pumped for Year 5. I think you guys would like it. I'm, I was reading it in print up until I moved to digital, but I think one thing that I really love about the digital first is that they come out more often, so it's easier to stay engaged in the story. My pull list is pretty stacked, so I'm sometimes 30 days, so sometimes 30 days wears away at whatever the crazy cliffhanger from the last issue may have been. Having the book come out at the most two weeks apart is really a great way to capture and keep readers in my opinions. Here's another question I have. I have this group chat set up with a lot of my friends where we discuss comics and other such amazing things. We were having a discussion recently and an interesting point arose that I thought was interesting. Some people like Bruce, like their Bruce Batman to be flawless and perfect, almost super, and others, like myself, like to see Bruce's flaws and his humanity. 
I wanted to see where you guys and Gal fell on that spectrum. Do you like the Batman that can't lose, or do you like to see the man that is completely aware that he could lose, but still goes into battle anyway? Anyway, sorry for the long post. Love you guys. All right, well, thank, thanks for uh, sending it in. As far as Injustice, I was reading I, I was reading Injustice. I read Year One and Year Two. I stopped reading after Year Two because I kept thinking, how long long can this really go? It is a great story as far as like an else like an Elseworlds title, and there's other people who have described it the same way. I know I'm not the first to describe it that way, but it's it's basically a, a different universe, but it's the characters that we all know, but different versions of them. And it is really good, and it's one of those books, or it's one of the books that I would love to have reviewed on the website on a normal basis, but at the same time, because we are now going to be going into year five at the beginning of the year, it's kind of those things where it's like, it's a, not a very easy place to pick up on if you haven't been reading it for an extended amount of time. So, definitely great if you read it from the very beginning, but it's not an easy thing just to jump into because the characterizations are so different. Anybody else reading Justice? Uh, I read the first year, like you. Maybe the some of the second year. I think I have the first year of trades are in here somewhere. Um, it wasn't that I disliked it, but to be honest with you, there's just so much Batman stuff. You know what I'm saying? That it just kind of fell off my radar when I actually. What I can tell you what happened when I when the game got a little older and I wasn't playing the video game as much. It just kind of slipped off my radar totally. I mean, I mean, like you said, it's in year five, so it must be good. All right, I, and and I and a part of it also, like we were talking about this last episode, Injustice, you know, has a different audience when it comes to this alternate universe based within the video game itself. And we were talking about how some of the digital first stuff is geared towards a specific audience. It's not necessarily just the normal comic book reader. Um, so that, that's part of it too. Um, dealing with your other question, as far as whether we'd like to see Bruce's flaws showcased or to see him perfect, I, I honestly, it's probably not one or the other. I'm probably more in the middle. Like, I like to see a confident Bruce, you know, that set, that believes that he's always right. But at the same time, like, privately, it's good to see that, you know, like, to see, his thoughts and, you know, that he's thinking to himself that, you know, that he could potentially be second guessing himself because the reality of it is, you know, you, you can't be perfect all the time, but at the same time, you don't want to give the idea that you're not perfect to anybody who you come in contact with. So I'd probably be completely fine with him presenting himself as the perfect flawless person, but then in private or with his more close allies like potentially Superman or some of the Bat family members, you know, being a little bit more realistic and, you know, showing those flaws because he can, because they are more trusted people that he's around. So that's my perspective. I kind of co-sign on what Dustin's saying. I'm in the same boat. So I mentioned Night's Quest that I was reading that, and I recently started, I guess maybe two weeks ago, I started rereading Nightfall. I had already only read half of Nightfall itself. So I'm making my way through that whole story um, for purposes of Backworld Oracle. And it's interesting because on my latest Backworld Oracle, that should potentially release uh, this week, um, I talk about with Donovan, this you know, who this Batman is in this particular story. And I think it's so interesting to see him as this flawed character 
who, despite his fatigue, he's, you know, psychologically and physically, he still keeps going. And he's very much off his game. Even Tim is more of a detective than he is at certain points and really taking cautions and everything. And it's hard to watch, though, as he pushes people away. And um, I, I like – I don't think he should be perfect. I think he does need to ask for help, which I, I feel like he does later in the 90s, you know, with, with asking Oracle for some assistance and things like that. I do think he needs to be confident, of course, in his abilities. You don't want him to – be beaten up by every crook that he runs into but it is interesting to see this guy who is just at the peak of human you know perfection almost um at at certain times have some of these flaws and i and i think flaws are what make us human obviously and and that's potentially what really pushes your character to new depths so I, i think you know if i were to read about you know batman as this perfect guy i'd just be reading superman Batman is a human being, and I think we it needs to be highlighted sometimes. So, all right. Next comment comes from Ian. He says, love the podcast as usual. A few comments. Number one, Brian Azzarello co-wrote Batman 44, so that's probably why it feels a bit different than the usual Snyder goodness. Number two, I was fascinated to hear about page count and contracts. That would make sense with the strange scheduling in Capullo with Capullo, since Snyder has said many times that Capullo keeps up with the schedule. Number three, I've liked the Harper Row one-shots that Snyder's written, especially especially the one in (laughs) Memorial of Damien after his death. Number four, I agree that a lot of the characters in Batman Eternal were really nice to see and and have sadly dropped off the face of the map since the series ended. For all its problem, and there were many, I really love the feeling that I could drop in on Gotham and see how these guys were doing every week for a year. Really looking forward to Batman and Robin Eternal to have at least six months of something similar. Number five, I thought I've had before, I thought I've had before on the Eternal concept. It's a lot like the massive back crossovers like Nightfall or No Man's Land or War Games or the upcoming Robin War, only you don't have to pick up multiple titles to follow it. I think it's more of a casual, consumer friendly way of getting people interested in new characters. Number six is a massive Stephanie Brown fan. I feel you I feel you on wondering if she'll be featured in Batman Robin Eternal. But I do think that she has been popping up reasonably frequently, considering that for the first three years after she was created by Dixon, she only showed up a few times in Robin. So we've actually gotten some good appearances. She's been basically a regular in Catwoman from number 42 through 46, with announced appearances in Batgirl for it, and at least one panel in the preview for Batman and Robin Eternal. Of course, I would love to see more of her as long as the team that got her did her justice. For example, I would not at all like her to be to continue as regular in Catwoman with the new team, given the way Thierry wrote her back in 2008. Number seven, I really like Jim as Batman. It gives the impression of development and consequences. I like Dick as Batman a lot as well. However, I don't see it changing permanently. I just wanted to add a vote to the pro-Snyder direction of the Batman side. Number eight. However, I must immediately desert Ed and vote for Bats yeah. together. That being said, I really like the new Corey series by Connor Palmiotti and Lucino. I'm saying that wrong, I'm sure, because it feels like Harley Quinn's lightheartedness without the constant murder. I view the things that happen to various incarnations of Robin in the Teen Titan titles only as tangentially and gently tangentially important since they mostly take place outside of Gotham and often massively out of character. 
Number nine, to give some unorthodox candidates for best Batman writer, Brian K. Miller in Smallville Season 11 wrote a really cool alternate universe but utterly recognizable Batman. Greg Rucka's run during Batman or Bruce Wayne murder of fugitive era with Sasha Bordeaux is a favorite of mine. Number 10, the lack of ability to track digital sales is infuriating. This is a multi-industry problem. It affects books, DVD, streaming, etc. There's no real sense of how any of these things are doing outside of often artificially generated and journalistically inflated buzz. The sales article sounds really interesting. We'll be looking forward to reading it. All right, Ian, lots of great comments here, or lots of good points here. Uh, take, I'm going to pick out some of these. Uh, of course, Stella wants to get on the fact that uh, you, you mentioned Harper Row, and I'm reading somebody <laughs> saying they like Harper Row. And I have said that they have they, they made that character more interesting through the pages of Batman Eternal, and hopefully they continue to do that through sure. the pages of Batman and Robin Eternal. Um, but up until Batman Eternal, she was not a character that I had in any way, shape, or form wanted anything to do with. I will never live that down because Stella reminds me every time. <laughs> you bet I do. Uh, the, the, you know, the other, the other thing I wanted to talk about is you, you mentioned the eternal concept. It's like, you said that it's like the other back crossovers, like Nightfall, No Man's Land, but you don't have to pick up multiple titles. In some ways, if you think about it, you're probably picking up just as many titles because back when they had those crossovers, there probably was only five series involved in the crossovers, except No Man's Land, because there was more than five. But normally, it was Batman, Detective, uh, Robin, eventually Nightwing, um, and potentially Birds of Prey later on, but Nightwing and Birds of Prey came on later on. They weren't around early on for Nightfall. In the beginning, it was just Batman, Robin, Detective Comics, and then occasionally Shadow of the Bat or Legends of the Dark Knight, so maybe five series up until the late 90s where they started crossing over with, you know, Nightwing and Birds of Prey, and then eventually Catwoman and Batgirl as well. Um, that was a different part of it where you could potentially be picking up more, but there were certain points where you'd only be picking up maybe five issues per month to read the story. Instead, you're, you are only doing, you're still picking up probably just as many issues with potentially up to five issues of Batman Eternal per month, but the difference is, like you said, it is just one series, and everything else can tell its own stories in its own books, which makes it so that the crossover can happen by itself in its own title. That part of it I really, really like. I love the fact that, you know, this massive thing like Eternal, regardless of Batman Eternal or Batman Robin Eternal, I love that this massive story can take place and it is weekly. I, you know, I will be the first, and I have said this multiple times in the past. I love the idea of Batman Eternal. I love the idea of focusing on characters we don't normally get to focus on because there's more page count. Um, and it also gives all the other monthly titles much more leniency on being able to tell their own stories without having to specifically deal with what's going on in the crossover, but still feel the effects. So for that part of it, I love it. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, those are the things that I wanted to comment on. Uh, commenting on what you just commented on, um, I will say this. I, when when Nightfall was going on, or, or, or No Man's Land, or any of those, where, where they remember they were all labeled back there, like Nightfall Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, Part 4, you know? So you knew exactly what either, it didn't matter if it was Detective or Shadow of the Bat or Gotham City Central, it didn't matter. 
you knew what chapter of the main story you were reading, right? As much as I can see your point, to play devil's advocate, maybe, there is a part of me that kind of liked the way they did it during Nightfall Net, because what was our biggest complaint during Batman and Robin Eternal was that the regular Bat books, being Detective and Batman, felt like they were really, really divorced from Batman Eternal. that's true, yeah. Right? Like, at least when they had them run through the regular titles, the universe felt like it was cohesively going to one place. Yeah, and that is completely true. I mean, the the other titles, I mean, there's a lot of titles that, despite the fact that their characters are having a huge thing going on in, in Eternal, their normal title is just feels completely flat. Yeah. Because it feels like their focus is in the other title and not their own book. book. But yeah. So I kind of, it, I think the idea is really good, but I think that since we all had such a problem, at least I did, had such a problem with Batman Eternal and what was going on in Batman. They were both good stories. That was the weird part. But they had, remember they had to do the time shift where we were reading Eternal and reading Endgame that happened after Eternal? Uh, uh, yeah. You know, like, if they... That's why I'm so glad that the current storyline that's happening in Batman is supposed to end right at 50, the same time Eternal ends, because that means they're, they're not going to do that, that silliness. Again. Yeah. Um, and I, and I like that, but I, I think that I like the idea of it being its own self-contained series, but I think when you really think about it, I think it could be one of the reasons why there's such a disconnect because you have, you know what I'm saying? You have the major story of the universe going on and then whatever Snyder's telling and whatever Tomasi is going to be telling. And I think that, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that maybe the reason why Nightfall No Man's Land felt so epic because it was all consuming. You know, like, if you were reading Batman comics during one of these major stories, this was the story you were reading. Um, now, I do understand the bad point of that, too, that if you hated Nightfall, No Man's Land, Death the Family, insert name of thing here, you would hate everything that was going on. You know, so, I mean, that's like, there is the let's offer some variety and options. Uh, and I'm not, I, I, I don't think that either way is, is worse, but I just think there's good and bad to, to, to both. Um both there. And I'm really glad in, in, in your point here that, that you are on board with me on, uh, that Scott Snyder is awesome and everything writes is great. That's very cool. And I am less, uh, I am less happy with the fact that everybody in the world, uh, seems to be on this Babs and Dick thing, which is, is kind of mildly depressing because I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm just standing on an island on this, on this cast and, and nobody else has, you know, no, hey, well, what's going just, on. just, just, just in your mind, you got to think to yourself, even though you're standing on an island by yourself, you and, uh, you know, if you, if you just. You're with Tom Panarese look, on look the towards, island. You look towards Good the company. horizon. And Josh. You, yeah. You look towards the horizon. You see another little island with our good old friend, John Mixelplick. Oh my He's gosh. Team Tarantula. <laughs> Team Tarantula. You know, I never mentioned, I wondered why he picked that when uh, she raped Dick That's Griffin. the whole reason he did. Well, it's That's the I, whole uh, reason he did. Is he not a fan of Nightwing that he would care for that thing to happen? To no, he, he said he was trying to be controversial. That's the whole <laughs> thing. He, okay. Um, well, congratulations. So he- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ian, thank you for being on Team Babs. Uh, uh, you know, I want to just, I want to make t-shirts is what I want to do and then maybe give them out at Comic-Con. Um, I agree with the whole eternal thing. I-, I think it's just so accessible also for readers who may not consistently get Batman. I'm going to go back to Nightfall again. I've got them in trades, which is really helpful, and then on Comixology. And I'm just thinking like all of these things that at that time in the 90s I would have to pick up 
very frustrating. Even some of the the events that I've done, the crossovers, I'm sorry, in Marvel, uh, either with all new X-Men or with Guardians of the Galaxy that happened last year. It's just hard to keep up with it, especially if you don't get some of these books normally. You have to go out and get them. So it's just like that nice that everything is encapsulated into one story. And even if there is backstory to characters and it's a nice Easter egg, like I, um, the Deacon Blackfire, right? So that was a nice little Easter egg for people who were aware. But if they weren't, then, you know, you could sort of learn as that went along. All right. So moving then to our next one, Corey says, I typically don't post comments, but I figured, why not? I've been enjoying your podcast for years now and love the cohesion that you guys and Lady have. Every episode is entertaining as the previous, and all three of you are certainly making my commute to work enjoyable to the point where I actually look forward to driving when there's a new pod available. I'll keep this short, but a brief history of myself since this is my first comment. I've been an avid Batman fan, shocker, since the 90s to the point where I have a full Batman sleeve tattoo to include some of my favorite artist works. Most, mostly Alex Ross and Bruce Tim. The first movie I actually remember as a child was the 1989 Keaton movie. I first jumped into comics during the Nightfall arc, but I and haven't looked back since. It was only until recently when I started to expand my comic reading beyond Batman-related titles. The stories are appealing a lot less to me nowadays. I went from spending $80 a week on books like Dustin. I am a completist who needs variants and full runs to around 20 because I have been so turned off by what is going on within the DC Universe. The cancellations of a whole lot of great titles, such as Batman and Robin and Nightwing, Grayson did not live up, does not live up to the Nightwing title in my view. I have begun to pick up a lot of image titles. Not to worry, Dustin, I do not collect or read Marvel titles either. Listening to your podcast, it seems that I am in the minority because I enjoy the darker stories a lot more than the light-hearted ones. Jim Gordon taking over as Batman has completely turned me off the Batman and Detective titles, normally when a character dies, I like to see it impact the universe by lasting longer than a few issues. But I cannot wait for Bruce to don the mantle again. I gave Jim a chance by reading the first two issues of Batman and Detective, but it can't end soon enough. I literally only read the Batman title to see where, what Bruce was up to. I adored Dick as Batman during the Morrison run, but Snyder is not performing as well in my opinion. Scott Snyder needs to move on and get back to his earlier years of Batman writing without screwing up any more origins. My last comment, based on my taste for the darker titles, is that you need to read Injustice to see why it's crushing digital sales. The series is extremely entertaining. I read it as an Elseworlds title, and it's one of the books that I look forward to most every week. I enjoy seeing the strategic alliances created and destroyed throughout the title, and I'm not a gamer, so the video game has no impact on me downloading these books. It would be nice to see the digital sales numbers because there are books that I download rather than buy from my my local comic shop to include Injustice. Oh, and I guess I'm Team Babs. Although I really haven't read read enough stories that include Corey to make a fair comparison. I like Dick's relationships in Bloodhaven and New York more than both of them, to be honest. Thanks, Thanks again for providing such outstanding entertainment. All right, so... Uh, a couple of comments. Um, I, I completely understand where you're coming from when you say, you know, you're more about the darker side of stuff. What I'd like you to respond where my question back to you is, if you were, re- you know, I don't know everything that you were reading. $80 is, is about what I was spending on average, including some of the variants, uh, on a normal basis for what I was getting per month. Um, so that makes sense. 
but I'm wondering if you were reading Batgirl because like there's certain titles that need a darker turn, like tone, but then there's other titles that I don't think benefit from the darker tone. And I'm kind of curious to know what's your thoughts on, you know, Gail Simone's run with Batgirl that we saw that we, that was the, one of the big ones we were complaining about, about how violent and how dark that title was. And but it that really, got progressively worse, remember? It did, it did. But I mean, I'm wondering to myself because like the thing is, I like, I like darker elements to certain points. Like, I think that there is a huge part of the Bat universe that is darker and more grim and more gritty and more violent, but there are parts that aren't. Like, and Batgirl is one of those characters that I don't feel is part of that darker, grim, violent area of the Batman universe. So it was nice to have that change. Now, that being said, there's, there's plenty of other elements that I think, you know, deserve to stay. Like, I, feel like there should be a bad book, whether it be Detective or Batman, that where he is just more violent and he's more to the point of getting stuff taken care of, you know, because that's how he would be interpreted by a lot of people. But I'm not saying everything has to be lighter. I'm not saying that everything needs to be darker. I'm saying it needs to be a good mix. So I'm just curious to know, you know, Corey, I'm curious to know your thoughts on whether or not, you know, what, what, if you feel everything should be dark. Or if you feel like there are certain elements. Because it's not so much about the lightheartedness. It's just when all you get in the entire universe is the grim, dark, violent take on everything. That's a huge problem. I don't think everything is like that. So I like now that there's a lot of different... There is a variety. You know, Grayson's more of like the spy type stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got Batgirl, which is much more lighthearted. You've got Harley Quinn, which is the zany, zaniness... But, I mean, like, there's very different, there's a variety, so, like, you, it can appeal to a wider audience. But outside of that, it's just nice to read different types of book, you know, not, like, different tones in the books. Well, yeah, and, and let's face it, the, the main two titles, Batman and Detective, right, these haven't been turned into slapstick comedies. You know, I mean, I, I like the variance in tone. I, I would like... I mean, a comedic issue or comedy is one thing, but I do like the fact that Batman and Detective stay relatively grounded. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that that's, I think having Batman and Detective stay relatively grounded is as important as keeping Batgirl more fun or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand, I think, what he's saying here. I wouldn't want Batman to turn into Harley Quinn. And I don't mean the character, I mean the book, Batman, turn into Harley Quinn. Um, I understand what he's saying, but I would be curious to see what, what the list you have, um, Corey, of which titles you consider to be dark and and not right now. Um, maybe that's some homework that we can do that Dustin can give us that we'll ignore and forget about again. Yeah, speaking of homework, I, I know for a fact that last episode, and I can't remember if it was just in the unedited version or it made it to the, the actual edited version that, that was released, but I said something about the fact that we were going to do some homework, and for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was. So if there was somebody out there that I said we were going to do some homework for that we haven't, because at this point, I'm sure it hasn't happened, I I apologize. Please send me your comment, and we will redo whatever it was that you were asking. Because it, Are you letting us have I, a makeup I, assignment? It'll be a makeup assignment, but it's not going to be until probably the end of the month. That's the reality, because the comment's going to come in on this episode. We'll get it next episode, and then we'll be doing it. Of the next episode. So, I apologize. I I really do. And I did tell these guys, hey, does anybody remember what the homework was? Because I can't remember. 
I knew that I said something, but I can't remember what it was. So apologies for that. But at the same time, whenever we have three weeks, so much happens in three weeks that it just completely... We just forget everything. Yeah. It's like having a vacation. All right. Next up, Boomer says... Dustin and company, love you guys. I'm a new listener. Started about three weeks ago, but instantly hooked. My father never read comics, but he put me on to BTAS when I was very young, about four, and I've never looked back since. I'm 27, and he even had me watch the Adam West and Burt Ward episodes just to allow me to establish a notion that there are different eras and artistic takes on characters, no matter who they may be. Good man. Without dragging on my backstory, the Batman mythos held me all through Burton, Shoemaker, and Nolan. I didn't start with the comics until February 2014, where I started with Morrison's Batman Arkham Asylum, <laughs> and then jumped to Long Halloween, then Dark Victory. All three, I thought, were just purely amazing takes. After that, I tried to follow the majority of publications from there in a linear story effort, which is very tough, and obviously doesn't always work out depending on what volumes you try to guess follow which However, after a few, you can do some research and find out which arcs you should read before or after others. Yet the journey and the attempt provides a rich experience. Now for my question. Of all of you guys' favorite story arcs that haven't been explored in the DCAU, which would you like to see brought to the animated screen? Personally, I think a Black Glove arc variation could be very entertaining. Not to give anything away, but the dynamic of that entire story the Isolation Experiment, Simon Hurt, Joker, Jezebel Jet, The League, etc., I think could be something special. I believe they dropped the ball with the Batman vs. Robin. I thought the Court of Owls deserved a way better and more solo storyline, but what are you going to do? Again, you guys are great. Thanks. All right, so two comments. The The first one is, when you, when you, when you were saying reading everything in a very linear story effort, you know, I know you're a new listener. I strongly suggest you head over to the website and check out our Bat Books for Beginners because everything we do in Bat Books for Beginners is a complete linear take on the mythos of Batman in a linear storytelling way. Um, and they are, they, they've done a lot. But if you start listening at episode one, you're starting from Batman's origins. And it just goes all the way through. I mean, I think at this point, we are about two-thirds way through our entire story. Um, but there is a lot of stuff. Uh, we just got... Cassandra Kane has just kind of popped in, and we're dealing with some of her stories right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's a lot that's been covered, but there's still a lot left, too. But I would suggest that you check out that, because... Uh, I do know for a fact that it is extremely difficult to, you know, figure out exactly what order to read everything in. But years and years ago, before the New 52, I did a ridiculous amount of research to make a linear story with all the major stories from Batman's history. So, Bat Books for Beginners is basically the child of my brain, of my research. So, check that out. The two guys who are currently doing it, uh, are John and Dylan. Um, they are doing it now. They took over from our good John, our good friend John Roke, um, who used to do it, and before that it was Nick. Um, all have had, you know, all of them have been working on it, and we continue to produce Bat Books for Beginners, and hopefully we will eventually get through it. Uh, there's a new episode that releases every month now, but it used to be bi-monthly, and that's why we have gotten so far, but it's been existing for 
over five years now. Uh, definitely check that out. But as for favorite story arcs that haven't been explored in DCAU, I would love to see a Batman Incorporated. Um, I think it, that could be kind of cool. Um, but I, but, but that's not the main one. I actually would love to see, uh, Long Halloween put into animated form. And Dark uh, because Victory, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Dark Victory. I think you could combine both of those stories or have like a part one and a part two, kind of like what they did with Dark Knight Returns. Um, but the, I think those two stories are great. I'd love to see those done because they could be completely one-off Batman stories that don't follow their normal, you know, con- uh, continuity that they have been doing for a while now. Um, so I, that's what I would like to see. Those two. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this fairly easy. I've been fairly consistent about this. There's two of them. One, pretty please. If anybody has any pull of anybody, Gotham by Gaslight as an eight. I know. I think that'd be amazing. That'd be fun. It'd be a different time period. I don't see why they wouldn't do it. It's a short enough story that you wouldn't have to cut bits of it out. It would be pushing that PG-13 rating quite a bit. Um, but I think Gotham by Gaslight would be awesome. There's a lot of Else Worlds that I would really like to see. Um, you know, we could do, we could do Speeding Bullets. I honestly, speaking of Else Worlds, I just have to say, I think, I think, you know, they, they're producing three movies a year. And the movies do decent in sales. Yeah, right. They they can keep, they keep making three. It's not as if they're pushing it by making three because it used to be two. Yep. And then even further back or like even earlier, it used to just be one when they first started. But I mean, they've done, been doing them for so long. They're doing three. If they took one of the three and made it an Elseworlds, that would be amazing. Yes. Just in general, like have just one of the three movies be an Elseworlds. I know they're already doing one of the three as a Batman. And one of the three is a Justice League, really. Yes, and one of the three is the Justice League or, you know, Justice League related character. Um, but I think an Elseworlds one would be great. And they kind of did that last year because they had Justice League Gods and Monsters, which in some ways is an Elseworlds story. Yeah. It's not, it's not but it's, it's not the normal continuity. So, I think it would be awesome if they did do that because there are some really amazing stories. Red Sun would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be good. Even like some of the more untraditional ones, Red Rain, Thrill Killer. I love El- I-, I often feel like we could do a, if someone would do a podcast just about all the Batman Elseworlds, I would do it with them. I love we the try to. We try to. Do, yeah, we need to do it more. I love Elseworlds. I do, seriously. The man named D. Yeah, we did. We, I, I think we should do, Plus, think about this. Technically, Dark Knight Returns is an Elseworld that they did as a movie. I mean, Dark Knight Returns, think about it. We, it's all such ingrained in us, but it's definitely an alternative. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely yeah. not a lineal part of a Batman story. Yeah. You know? I think the Elseworlds give creativity. Plus, with the Elseworlds, it would let the art directors do some cool art stuff and, and different animation styles that weren't, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, that wouldn't just be the normal run-of-the-mill type stuff. I, I just think it would be cool because there's... There's so many things, but then they could go, I mean, like, everybody appreciates when they do original content. It's not, it doesn't happen very often, but when they do an original story that's not necessarily oh, just being, you know, that's not just a interpretation of a, an existing comic story. When they do original stuff, sometimes it's really successful. And it would be really cool if, you know, they, they did to the, they got to the point where they did the majority of the Elseworlds that we wanted, but every once in a while they throw in like a new one, you know, that, isn't in comic form. I, 
I think that you're right. One a year of Elseworlds would be great. I, I just think that there's so many of them that you could do. Then there's like some like Holy Terror. I don't know if you guys have ever read, yep. which is a really like breathe deep one. You know, um, Red Rain is so damn good. So yeah, Speedy Bullets. Speedy Bullets is a great one. Uh, even Blackest Night, the, the dark was it Darkest Night, the one where Batman becomes a Green Lantern. Yeah, darkest, yeah. Um, like I, I just think that these would be fun. Really fun. Um, and I'd be cool if people root up their own, like, when I, when they did the Gods and Monsters, which I guess, like, that's an Elseworlds alter, whatever. Uh, I, I would have rather seen that anything we've talked about here, Red Sun Gotham by Gaslight, whatever, than that. Not that I hated it, I didn't think it was terrible. But, I'm one of these people who always prefers these to be adaptations of stories. Because we're so in touch with the comics, right? Like, we've been reading them for a long time that, Seeing these adapted was something, especially when I was younger. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, this would be awesome to see. So I still get really pumped up when I see an adaptation. And I know The Killing Joke is coming, and I know that everybody in the world wanted that. I really didn't want that one. Uh, but if I had to go non-Elseworlds, uh, then I guess... Well, but, it's funny you say that, because that is... But that's like one of that the one. few that everybody, you know, that a good majority of people were asking. There's not very many left that people have said they want. No. You know, Killing Joke is one that people have been saying for years and years and years. Like, ever since they said they were going to do Dark Knight Returns, it was basically like, so when are you doing Killing Joke? But it's one of those things where it's like, they are getting to the point where, I mean, now with the main Batman ones, they're, they're adapting stories that are very, very current. You know, they just did Cavallis. And, you know, the next one there, I don't know, we don't, we still don't know that much about it, but it involves Batwing and Batwoman. Um, so it's, it's still pulling from, you know, very, very recent material. So I think that in some ways they're going to get to the point where they're not going to have it. And don't get me wrong. They've done other things like there's that Gotham Knights or Gotham Knight, Batman Gotham Knight. Uh, the collection that of was stories. The anime. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the anthology. They did that. They had uh, Green Lantern, Emerald Knights, which was an anthology just Green like Lantern the other stories. one. Yep. Uh, they had, uh, Justice League New Frontier, which in some ways is an Elseworld. Yeah, that definitely is an Elseworld. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, and then, like you said, Dark Knight Returns. So, I mean, there is ones like that, but it would be just cool if I wish we had one they in, actually one got to the ones that had the Elseworlds imprint on it. Yeah. I, I think I would love it if they would slam one of Europe, um, that was Elseworlds. But if I had to get off Elseworlds into, into other stuff, uh, two, I'd like to see one just only if they did it. And let the, the animation guys go nuts would be Arkham Asylum, right? Like, if they let them just do it in that same kind of crazy animated form, um, I would be interested in seeing Arkham Asylum. And then the other one, which I think is far more traditional, and quite frankly, I'm really, really surprised that they haven't done this one, is with all the characters in it and the amount of fun they can have with it, I'm surprised we haven't seen Batman Hush. You know? Um, Hush is one that, you can put Harley Quinn, Joker, Superman. I'm really surprised. That's why I'm surprised they haven't yeah. done, honestly. Yeah, that's, because there's so that, many characters, right? and you would think that they would want to do that. Yeah, to me, that would be top of the stack. Like, if, if To me, that would be the top of the stack one. But yeah, Elseworlds would be my number one preference, for sure. I, well, finally, it's getting to me. I, yeah, um, she's doing <laughs> I I know it's a pipe dream, and I even you know talked to Bruce Tim about it personally. But I honestly think that Batgirl Year One would be just such uh, a beautiful be adaptation yes. to have on DVD. And, um, you know, Wonder Woman, that first one, which I think is perhaps one of the best uh, movies that they've come up with, 
really? they were going to do a sequel, but then it just didn't have the best. The sales did not reflect the quality of the film. Let's just put it that way. And unfortunately, it's sort of in this, this, I mean, that's a cause and effect for back row year one because, you know, the female-led ones, if it doesn't sell as much, they're not going to try again. So I, I hope that something changes with all the the new stuff that's coming out, like Supergirl, and then, you know, you've got Captain Marvel over in Marvel. So I, I'm hoping that these female-led things and Wonder Woman, though we don't know what part she's going to play in Batman versus Superman, will bring the, the females to the forefront. And since I'm reading it now, I think it'd be interesting to do a, a, like a really quintessential Batman Bane story, which I feel like we haven't really tackled in movie format anyways. And I, I know Nightfall is so huge that you'd have to do a part one, part two situation, or you'd have to really cut, cut some things down. I mean, if you had like part one being the breaking of the bat and then part two Azure or something, but it'd be interesting to see that be adapted. You know, here's the other one too. I'm going to just, I know this is a, before, before we jump on here, the one that I would like to see, but I just don't think it's possible, is No Man's Land. Mm, because like, I would love that, but it's it's so such a huge story that I feel like if they did it, they would chop too much of it out. You know, the only way I think you could do that right, and I may have campaigned for this before because I've thought about it, is No Man's Land, if they wanted to come back and do a new, especially with Batman Superman coming, like a new Batman the Animated Series type of animated story, no Man's Land would lead itself to like a 20, you know what I'm saying? Like a full season telling that as an overarching story arc on like a Batman the Animated Series type show. That would be like yeah, a point of television. Story. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. All right. And then our final comment that we have we comes from Michael and it says, Hello, Dustin, Ed, and Stella. Thank you for another enjoyable and thought-provoking episode of my favorite podcast. And now, since it hasn't been discussed by anyone at all, here is my view on Scott Snyder's work in Detective and Batman. I preface my comments by letting you know that I immensely enjoyed the Black Mirror and Court of Owls storylines. In fact, it is because of your podcast reviews that I have a subscription to Batman, which started near the end of the Court of Owls arc. However, and Ed may wish to stop listening. Oh, here comes Snyder bashing. <clears throat> okay. I have become increasingly disenchanted with Snyder's Batman run since then, starting with the non-ending to Death of the Family to the overly long, meandering zero-year rewrite of Year One, which Snyder originally stated would not be a retelling of Batman Origins to complete the transformation of everything in the Joker's history during Endgame, not to mention the wildly stereotypical amalgam of everything that is currently thought as progressive that is Harper Rowe. What has cemented my dislike for Snyder's run on Batman was the realization that I had when you were discussing Snyder possibly writing a Two-Face story on the podcast. I do not want to see Snyder's take on Two-Face for the reason that became clear to me while I was listening Scott Snyder, or while I was listening. Scott Snyder is not writing Batman stories. I will explain. Snyder does not use major characters such as Alfred or even Robin, claiming that he doesn't write Robin well, I think it's quite a different reason altogether that he shrews these established characters for his original characters such as Harper Rowe and Julia Pennyworth. He is not writing stories about Batman and characters in the Batman universe. He is writing stories about characters that he created that he can dress in the appropriate costumes. This explains a lot. Since Snyder has taken over on Batman, Bruce has no concern over his son's whereabouts or well-being in the Batman title. He has little contact with Alfred as possible, with Alfred missing in action for most of the run. He has no problem with Harper Rowe using guns, he has a new origin story, and the existing villains are completely different from any previous incarnations. 
I think that Snyder has a detective character that he thinks will work as Batman, and he has built this new world around the character, and I think that explains his take on the villains such as the Joker and the Riddler. He has created the characters that he thinks will fit well in the personas of these villains, so Riddler becomes the master of Gotham in Zero Year, and Joker becomes some ageless, eternal evil that has long-range plans rather than being a psychopathic, completely insane, but ultimately not immortal killer he has always been before. This is precisely why I don't want to see Snyder's take on Two-Face. He stated something along the lines of, it would be a completely different from anything you've seen before. Yes, I'm sure it will be, as I think that Snyder has gotten gotten another story idea that he thinks will work better with Two-Face than one of his original villains, and Snyder will remake Two-Face into whatever he needs it to be to make the story work, whether it is a character or not. I think that Snyder is a very talented writer, and that when he is working with original characters, he is very entertaining. I'm just no longer a fan of his work on Batman anymore, as I don't feel Batman would be the type of person to use clones with artificially induced memories to carry out the mantle of Batman. I think that Batman would hand over the reins to someone like Dick Grayson or Terry McGinnis. Batman has always been unique because he is a normal man. If you start enhancing Batman with cybernetic programming and cloning, you are losing the essence of the character. And I think that Snyder has lost the essence of the character because he is writing a story with characters that he has created and the central character is not Batman. But, much like Johnny Bravo, the suit fits. Of course, this is all just my opinion. Your mileage may vary, and it's safe to say for Ed to listen again now. <laughs> I realize that this is a long comment, so if you choose not to read it in its entirety on the next podcast, I will still understand, but I would like to hear your thoughts on my main contention that Snyder is not necessarily writing Batman's stories. As always, thank you for all the hard work that you do to keep us up to date with and everything involved in the comics. And on a final, unrelated note, for all of those who have left iTunes reviews in the past and want to leave another, if you edit your original review, it will repost in iTunes with a new date. It just takes a few days to update, so all of you who have left reviews long ago, be sure to update your podcast reviews and be sure to click on the five-star rating for the podcast Checks as well. in the mail. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael. So first off, complete great, great comments with the, the reviews. We all, you know, I, some, I, you know, it's kind of like a afterthought sometimes when I say the iTunes reviews. And honestly, I can't remember. It's been such a long time since I've gone on to the iTunes and actually yeah. s- sought out to see if there was new reviews for the podcast. All of that being said, I think it is great when people leave us reviews. Uh, we are all well aware that this is the top TBU show on the website. All of the podcasts, this is the top one that has the most listeners, has the best reviews, and is the top rated, you know, is up there in the top five Batman podcasts on iTunes. Well, I'm, the, I'm so, the only one I'm on, so I'm not saying that yeah. that can't be a coincidence. That's all time. <laughs> anyway, anyway, all of that being said, we appreciate the fact that our listeners are loyal to us. And we appreciate if you do leave us for those reviews. It's always greatly appreciated. Now, getting to your Snyder comments. I honestly have to completely agree with you. And a lot of what you're saying is stuff that I've said, just not as articulate as the way you're putting it. Um, a lot of times when I make, you know, my immediate concerns with Harper Rowe, my immediate concerns with Julia Pennyworth at the beginning of Endgame was exactly what you're saying. Why aren't we just using the characters that exist? Why do we feel the need to use these characters that are brand new. And, you know, my, I've argued this before, you know, I know that there's a lot of, you know, I've, I've said this, a lot of writers like to use their own creations. They don't want to necessarily use 
existing characters. Snyder feels, though, as I've said, does it to an extreme. You know, not using Alfred. Or using Alfred, but using Alfred as this, you know, person just to basically abuse profusely. Um, the, you know, the introduction of Harper Rowe, instead of using a character that already exists, like Stephanie Brown, or like any of the other Robins, even if he doesn't want to work with Damien. Like, there's a lot of different characters that I, you know, a lot of different points over the last four years that I have made about Snyder's run on Batman that I've said some of these things that you're saying now. So I have no problem admitting that, you know, you have a very, very good point here. Um, you know, I'm not going to go to the lengths of saying that Snyder, he's not writing Batman, he's writing something else and he just works to fit with everything, but he is writing what he wants to write and it's not necessarily Batman universe stories. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to say that anybody who thinks this way is probably right. Listen, my, my defend, defending of Snyder Everything your guy's saying is, is totally right. He's totally doing it in a different way. They're not Batman stories like we've read before. I just happen to really enjoy them. Um, everyone knows that I've also been the person who's, who's, who's beat the drum of continuity doesn't really matter. Or, or, I mean, let me rephrase it. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Continuity is dead. So I just enjoy the stories as much as I can. Yes, they are total takes. In fact, my only, this, my only problem with Snyder recently has been this kind of, um, Sometimes he walks up to the edge and then kind of chickens out, you know? He was playing with the idea of making Joker immortal, but in the end, he didn't. Um, you know, stuff like that. I, well, you could even you'd say to a degree that he, he played with the idea of killing Bruce, only to bring him back yeah, a month later. No, I, I, and that's my biggest issue with, with Snyder isn't the um, kind of radical things he does. I love the radical things he does. It's when he... He does kind of, kind of wimp out, you know, like in Death of the Family, the play with the idea that the Joker really knew he is the entire time, and the answer ends up being, we don't know. It turns out he does from Endgame, but the answer is no, and he falls off the ledge, and the family kind of breaks up, and then, and, and you know, so my problem isn't how radical he is, is the fact that he he does chicken out. I wish that he had just went whole hog and made Joker immortal, and if we were going to kill Bruce. I really didn't like the fact that he came back only. I know it was a couple months later because Convergence was in there, right? But I didn't like the fact he got brought back so quickly. And I and I think that I mean, look at the comments we have on the site just this week. People are saying that the reason they're watching that they're 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 reading super heavy just because of the Bruce parts, right? Um, nope. The annual the, the annual that we just had was I mean Jim's Batman was in it for maybe two panels, right? Nope. So that was a Bruce Wayne story. Um, and then the, the issue before that was the flashback to an old Bruce Wayne story. So again, I, I think that if we had went whole hog, just killed Bruce, and he, I know he would have come back in a year or so. Like, I'm not ignorant, but just take the chance. You know, if I'm saying making any sense, like if you're going to take the chance, just do it. You know, make the Joker immortal, kill off Bruce, do all this other stuff. Um, and I know that that's probably editorial driven or maybe it's not. Um, but yeah, it's funny. My, my complaints about Snyder would be that I, I wish he would just take the step and go, go farther because we all know that if we need to retcon it in a couple of years, we can. But I do want to say, like, I completely understand someone who's been reading Batman comics their entire life and reading this and going, this isn't for me because I, I do realize that this is a very different type of Batman storytelling, one that I just happen to really enjoy. That being said, even with all that, I think that the absence of Damien or acting like he just doesn't exist sometimes can be um, 
be kind of obnoxious. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, that, don't force my hand. It, it's hard. I mean, and it's funny because Don and I sort of talked about that. It's just a different, it's a different Batman. Um, and I don't, it, it's hard. And I think it just goes to Snyder being, I mean, he even said he's a fanboy of Batman. So this is his vision of who he believes Batman is and does it match up with what we have seen in the past, you know, the 90s Batman or before? I don't think so. And and it's tough because these stories, I mean, I totally get you with how long they go on, which is, you know, I, I think there's just fatigue. And more so than fatigue, it's hard to also keep track of where did we come from? I mean, at the end of zero year, could you yeah. have thought without having that trade what issue number one was? That's that's the tough thing. But but there are some creator choices that I don't agree with. Um, I had a problem with Death of the Family, which when Ed dropped that on his top ten list or whatever, oh, I, I thought, are you sure that's the preposition you want to use? You don't mean <laughs> just in the family. But um, because, yeah, I, I just think there are some strange like characterizations that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And even if you don't feel comfortable writing characters isn't that what being a creator is all about is like working outside of your comfort zone and wouldn't that really push him to be a better writer by dealing with characters that he may not be comfortable with and and pushing them to different places so i i don't want that to be a cop-out for him because he is such a great writer that i think he should use all these things that he has as as at his disposal or else the fans and readers are suffering because there are characters that we want and we feel that Batman needs to interact with that we're not seeing. But, um, you know, I'm still on board with Snyder. I still feel like he has a good grasp as, you know, what's going on. And, you know, it's kind of a status quo, I think, for us readers that when we see Batman, Snyder's going to be on that title. So when that changes, it's going to be a shock. Um, but, you know, there are things, of course, that I agree with you on. I'm going to leave it with this. You know, every writer, and I said this a little bit earlier, every writer always tries to add something to the Batman mythos. You know, whether it be, you know, they introduce a character that plays a pivotal role in their story, that happens a lot. And it's just, with Snyder, it seems like he just seems to do a little bit more. Because, well, one, he's been on the book for a long time. And really there's not has. very many writers... There's not very many writers who stick around for 50 issues. And that's just the 50 issues. It's not even talking about the annuals or, you know, the other or stuff. Or the detective comics are running up to it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, he's been on Batman for a long time. There's not very many writers that are on Batman for as long as he has been on. So it probably, and of course, it's more fresh. That's the biggest thing because, of course, whatever's the freshest thing is always going to be on your mind. But... There are plenty of character writers who have created characters specifically for their stories. My biggest thing is with Snyder is I have no problem, you know, reading Snyder's stuff. I just don't like the fact that whatever he does affects everything else. That's my biggest issue with it. Because if Snyder was just telling his stories in Batman and, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with some of the stuff he was doing, I could still appreciate it because it's still a good story. But everything that he writes somehow bleeds into everything else. And that's my biggest issue, is because he has this reign of being able to do whatever he wants when he's telling his stories, 
but somehow everything else is affected by that, and that's the biggest problem. Um, the one thing that I would love to see, like, uh, we were just talking about how, you know, there, you know, there's, there's, I think in, in the world of comic books, there's two types of writers. There are the writers that are not necessarily comic book writers, but they're telling stories. And then there's writers who they can be put into any situation and adapt to the universe and tell stories. Snyder is the first one. He is the writer who had, can tell amazing stories but it's not necessarily directly related to what's happening with everything else. Somebody like James Tinian is a perfect example of the other type of writer. He can be put into a universe and adapt to what's going on. I would love to see Tinian's take on a bat title. And the thing is, he hasn't been in the business long enough to headline Detective or Batman long-term, but I think that you know, the stuff that he's done with Batman Eternal... Uh, you know, we, we point out all kinds of flaws with Batman Eternal. Hopefully they, they fix a lot of that stuff with some of the things we already know they're fixing, like the length of it, um, this time around. But like, we can, we, he's the, he's the main person behind Batman Eternal. Even though Snyder's name's at the top, Snyder has said himself that Tinian is the person who's behind a lot of everything that's going on in these books. He gets these characters. He hasn't even been in comics for five years, yet he understands these characters and can, adapt these characters to everything that's going on. So there's they're they're in some ways like polar opposites because Snyder can't just walk into a story and and write characters that are existing in the story. We see that. The fact that Damien is nowhere to be found. The fact that we hardly have any reference to the other characters within the Batverse in his title. You know, he doesn't work well with the other characters. He works well with whatever he's trying to tell. If he needs another character, great, but it's very rare that he will use an existing one. He'll end up creating one. So, that's my thoughts on that. With that, I implore anybody and everybody, of course, to head over to the website to leave your comments for the episode, and we will discuss those on the next episode. So, leading up to October, I said that, you know, there was a bunch of new series that were coming out with Batman Eternal, or Batman and Robin Eternal, I should say, and we have Batman Europa and Dark Knight 3. And there's even more titles that are coming out in December that, uh, you know, we were talking about which ones are we going to cover, which ones are we not going to cover. So I'm just going to lay it out now. <gasps> discuss this earlier so everyone can know Put exactly what we're doing. So starting in October, as, as we said, we will be covering Batman and Robin Eternal. Uh, we will also be covering Batman and Detect- Detective Comics as usual. So we'll be covering... Those three series in October. Uh, Titan's Hunt is a new book that's coming out in October that will be covered on the website along with all of the other books that we cover. In November, we have the, we have Batman Europa coming out. Um, Batman Europa, we have decided that we will be covering as a complete four issue series as a special that will release in February after the final issue releases in January. Um, there is an issue that comes out in November. There's actually two issues that come out in December, and then we have presumably the final issue in uh, January. So that will release as a special. We'll combine all four issues together and release that as a special in February. Uh, Dark Knight 3 also comes out in in November because of what we assume is going to be a very pivotal, you know, 
run for Batman because DC's at least marketing this that way. We will add that book to our, our normal books that we will be covering monthly. So that will be in addition to Batman Detective and Batman Robin Eternal. So Dark Knight 3 will be covered monthly on the podcast. And then in December, we have some other new additions. Harley's Little Black Book, which will be over on the website. Uh, Batman 66 meets Man of, from Uncle. That'll be on the website. And the Batman Ninja Turtles will also be on the website. So, uh, and then in, in December, Robin War is the big event that's happening that month. And for that, our very own Rob from Rob's Rogues, who reviews stuff on the website, also from Everyone Loves the Drake. The Tim Drake podcast over on the website. He will actually be covering the Robin War as a you know, some special episodes on this feed on the Comic Cast, so we can cover the Robin War in depth. So that will include the Robin War number one, the tie-in issues, as well as the uh, main series or the main storyline, which includes Detective Comics that month, and then the Robin War number two. I think it's going to be called. That comes on the beginning of January. So those will be covered also in depth so we can ensure that the entire event for that is covered as well. So that is the plans for now because that's, we have solicitations up through December. So that is what we are going to be doing. So if you are at all interested in us doing something different, I'd love to hear what you have in mind. Um, but that's basically the plan for now. So, we will be covering Dark Knight 3 here, and we will be covering Batman and Robin Eternal, and we will cover Robin War in its entirety in depth. So, with that, that's what we're doing. Uh, as far as discussions go with this episode, I think we had plenty of discussions when it came to our listener comments, so we will forego discussions this time around, because we had such great listener comments. Uh, we have every intention of continuing to do the spotlight and discussions every episode, if time permits. And we actually have something to discuss, and we continue to have listener uh, comments, so keep the comments coming. So with that, that is everything for this episode. I implore you to head over to the website for all kinds of stuff related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer on the website. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, as well as join our Facebook group. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as my, my normal, you know, call for help, we are still looking for people to cover certain areas of the website as far as news goes. Um, I'm specifically looking for people to cover video game news, which right now is kind of a dead area because there's not any planned games coming out, but video game news, um, TV news, and movie news. So if you are all about Batman vs. Superman, get in touch with us and so we can start getting that stuff reported on a normal basis on the website. With that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is this is Ed. And this is Stella. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>